Jesus is the Christ, the only begotten Son. We want to consider the meaning of that identity of Christ, that part of his identity. He is the only begotten Son of God. And let's turn in our Heidelberg Catechism, the back of our songbooks, page 877. For a summary of what does that mean when the Bible teaches that God gave us his only begotten or one and only son. Just question and answer 33. And then we want to look at one more aspect of Christ's identity. Jesus, Christ, God's only begotten son, and then our Lord. Why is he called God's only begotten son? When we also are called God's children. Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. And then let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 16, where Peter confesses Jesus to be the son of God. Matthew 16 Page 977. Matthew 16, page 977. When Jesus is eager to hear from the disciples whom they confess him to be. That's important to him, what we think of Jesus the Christ. Now when Jesus came, verse 13, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Again, they were to do that after his resurrection. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God bless his word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we are considering the most important question, the most essential question, the most vital question anybody can ask, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Why is that so important? Because Jesus is the way to the Father. And if you want to have the Father, if you want to have God as your Father, who protects you, loves you, adopts you as his child, you've got to know his Son. You've got to trust in his Son. And also, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of life, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe in Jesus, he will fill you with his Spirit. And that's why it's so important to know who Jesus is and to have the right Jesus when there are all kinds of wrong versions of Jesus out there, to have the right Jesus. And that's why Jesus was so concerned that his disciples know, who do you say, or who do you say that I am? They must have him right because it's their task to tell him to the world. We must have him right because that's the only way to be saved and because we're called also to be his witnesses. Who is Jesus? We've seen first he is the Savior, the only Savior. He is the Christ, our true prophet, the anointed one, anointed to be our true prophet, to teach us who God is. He does that through his word. Our true priest who offered the only sacrifice that takes away your guilt and makes you right with God. Our true king, the only shepherd great enough and loving enough to carry us all the way to glory and protect us from the evil one and from ourselves, the Christ. But we also need to see something else about Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the son of the blessed one, the son of the living God, the only begotten son. And that's what we want to look at this afternoon. What does it mean that Jesus is God's only begotten son. What does it mean that he's the son of the living God? What did Peter mean when he said, and when the father inspired him to say, you are the son of the living God? What does that mean? It first means that Jesus is God's eternal son. It means also that he's the only son. And it means that he's the powerful son, the powerful one. He is God's eternal son. Who do you say that I am? Peter, inspired by the Heavenly Father, knew that this man did one-of-a-kind miracles nobody ever did. This man had a -a one-of-a-kind teaching that nobody ever heard. And therefore, he must be a -a one-of-a-kind man. And he said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And for a Jew to say that was blasphemy unless it was true. Because the Jews are monotheists. There's only one true God. Nobody shares that honor with him. 
And now if you say to somebody else like Jesus, you are the son of the living God, that means you're God. You make him equal to God and that's blasphemy. That's a great insult to God and that's worthy of death. So what a scary thing for Peter to say. Unless it's right. Unless it's true. And it is. Because Jesus is the son of the living God. Which means he's equal to God. He's one with God. And yet a distinct person in the Godhead. With the Father and the Holy Spirit. Luke has a shorter version of this confession. Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Means the same thing. At another point in Jesus' ministry, maybe you remember this story in John 6. Jesus was giving some hard teachings. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so many people left him and wouldn't follow him anymore. And then Jesus said to the 12, are you going to leave me too? And you remember what Peter said, John 6? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, and here, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What an amazing title. And what a clear description of Jesus' true identity. By saying, you're the son of God. Peter's saying, you've come down to us from God. You're not just the son of Mary, somebody walking here on earth. You're much more than that. You're the son of God. You come from God himself. You are the Christ of God. And what does that mean? You're divine. If I'm the son of Jake Zeckfeld, and I am, what does that make me? Less than a human being? A squirrel? Or a squirrel and human mixed? No, if I'm the son of Jake Zeckfeld, a full human being, that means I'm a full human being. And if Jesus is the son of the living God, It means that he's not less than God. He's one with God. He is God. He shares his divine nature. Even though he's a distinct person in the one divine being, he is the divine being fully and eternally. If God's eternal, Jesus is eternal. Remember John the Baptist acknowledged that because Jesus was born about three months after he was. Elizabeth became pregnant first, John was born. Then Mary became pregnant. Jesus was born about three months apart. And yet when Jesus introduced John into the, or John introduced Jesus into the ministry, remember what he said? He who came after me was before me. Was before me. He eternally existed with the Father and the Spirit in eternity. And do you remember how he made the Jewish people so mad, Jesus, when he said, you know, you honor Abraham because you think he's so great and he's greater than I am. But I want to tell you, before Abraham was, that's John 8, before Abraham was, 
I am. There's a whole bunch of things going on there. I'm older than Abraham is what he's saying. Yeah, I'm eternal. But he's also saying, I am the great I am who I am. The eternal unchanging Jehovah God, Yahweh God, who met Moses on Mount Sinai and delivered Israel from Egypt. That's me. I'm the Savior God. Before Abraham was, I am. He's the eternal God, the son of the living God. Son of the living God. God is eternally three living persons, the living Father, the living Son, and the living Holy Spirit, the God who is life in himself. Life in himself. And that's why Jesus came to give eternal life to us who are lost, who lost our life in sin. There's an error called adoptionism introduced by Paul of Samoseta in the early church, which teaches the opposite approach. Not that Jesus is God come down to us, but Jesus started off with us as a human being, ordinary person. But he was so spiritual and so pious and so good and so enlightened through knowledge that he climbed up the ladder of the chain of being and came closer and closer to God till finally God adopted him as his son and he got swallowed up into the divine being. And it's basically the same as the Mormon teaching. If you're a really good person, you can climb up the ladder and become a god. That's adoptionism. It's a heresy. I have good news, brothers and sisters. Salvation is not found by sinful men climbing up the ladder of goodness and holiness and climbing higher and higher until finally you get to God. That's impossible. You can never get there. We'd always fall off the ladder and end up in a deeper hole than the one we started from. The good news is that he's the son of the living God. God came down to us. Think about Jacob, remember? The song, we're climbing Jacob. No, 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 we're not climbing Jacob's ladder. Well, Jacob wasn't climbing Jacob's ladder, remember? He was sleeping. God set up a ladder and he climbed down it. And he made promises to Jacob. And that's how salvation works. God, through his eternal son, came down the ladder to us lost children to save us and adopt us as his children. That's why you should trust in Jesus because he's not a good man who got better. He's the eternal God who came down and became a man to save us from our sins. You should trust him because he's divinely powerful. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to my house and proclaim a Jesus that's not God, for them he's not the son of the living God. I say, don't take your Jesus to my neighbor. He's not divinely powerful. He's not eternal. He cannot save. Your Jesus can only damn people. He's a lie. Don't spread the bad news. But the true Jesus is the eternal God who's divinely powerful and who came to us that we might have life in him. 
we might enjoy eternal fellowship with the God of life. Well, let's see, secondly, he's not only the eternal son, he's the only son. Jesus is not one of many sons of God. Now, we know Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. By adoption, we become human sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus, you, became, you become a child, a son, a daughter of God by adoption. But Jesus is in a totally different category. He's the eternal, natural son of God. Sharing his very same nature. And the only one of his kind. He says, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Meaning the only one. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Some translations have God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Some have God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's all about a disagreement on how to translate that Greek word monogenes. Does it mean only begotten or just one and only, there's disagreement, so we have different translations, but it really comes down to the same message. Jesus comes from God, and he's the only son that comes from God and shares the very same nature as God. God has a son, only one, and that son is with God, and he is God, John 1. The only God is not a lonely God. From all eternity, it's a blessed thing to think about. God the Father and the Son have loved each other, known each other, talked to each other, planned together, worked together, and lived in each other. The Father's in the Son, and the Son's in the Father, says the Bible. And all in the communion of the Holy Spirit, who is the bond of fellowship that unites the Father and the Son. The only God is not a lonely God. He has a son. And this only son is therefore the true God. Listen to 1 John 5 verse 20. 1 John 5 verse 20. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. We are in his son, Jesus Christ. He The Son, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. He, the Son, Jesus Christ, is the true God and eternal life. And Elena will remember from seminary classroom that that's one of the five classical proof texts for the deity of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because he's the only Son, who is God, the same nature as God. He's worthy of the same honor as the Father. Listen to John 5, verse 23. All must honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whoa! All must honor the Son, Jesus, just in the same way, to the same degree as they honor the Father. Wow. 
And whoever does not honor the son, says John, does not honor the father who sent him. They deserve the same worship. They deserve the same honor. They deserve the same trust. Because the father and the son are one God with the Holy Spirit. And this only son, this is the miracle we hope to talk about in the near future. This one and only eternal natural son of God, son of the living God, came down from heaven to earth and became also the son of Mary, a human being. Amazing. Why? To give life to the dead, dead sinners. That's why God gave us his only begotten son and made him the son of Mary. Because originally we're all God's children, not divine children, but creature children, copies, images. But we revolted, we revolted and rebelled against our God. And we became, the Bible says, children of disobedience, children of wrath under the curse. So God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit agreed that God would come down in the Son, the second person of the Trinity, and become one of the lost children, one of the condemned children, the son of Mary, a member of the human race, and shoulder our sin and guilt and curse and take it upon himself so that whoever believes in him becomes a child of God who has fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is, we don't become gods. But we're adopted as creature children of God made in the image of the eternal Son. How deep the Father's love for us. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Do you want to be a child of God? Do you want to become right with God and no longer be a stranger to him but a friend? No longer an enemy but a son, a daughter. The Bible says God is eternal life. And this eternal life is found in his son. You want to become a child of God with eternal life. You go to his son. John 1 verses 12 and 13. To all who did, who did receive Jesus, who believed in Jesus' name, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but born of God. And I cannot fathom this wonderful gift of eternal life from the Son of the living God. What a gift. And John, in 1 John 3, is also totally amazed at this when he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. He's just shocked. What manner of love is this? He's just shocked. And it is shocking. And just think, 
Like Peter, you confess Jesus in truth. Jesus, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I believe in you. Then you cross the chasm from an enemy of God to a child of God. Just by believing that and confessing that in truth, in faith, you become God's dearly loved child. What's our problem? We're busy climbing Jacob's ladder. Unbelief. Here I am in my sin. I need to be right with God. I'm not reaching God on somebody else's back. I'm going to do that on my own. And if by really hard work and trying to be a really good person, I just keep climbing up rung at a time, I'll get there. One rung at a time, I'll get there. And then we reject the true ladder that goes this way. Jesus is his name. John says that in John 1. He saw the son of man. And angels ascending and descending upon him. Suddenly Jesus himself is the ladder and angels are going up and down on him. He's the ladder. You can't climb up to God, but he has come down to you. He took your sin upon his shoulders. He came all the way. He he became sin for you. He became damned for you, dead for you, lost in hell for you, done in by your sin and God's wrath so that you could be forgiven by God. That's the free gift. That's the free gift given to you, sent down to us in Jesus, the son of the living God. He signed the adoption papers with his own blood. And then presents us to God the Father to become our Father. And fills us with a spirit so we get shaped more and more into looking like sons and daughters of God. Conform to the image of Christ, the Bible says. Well, thirdly, it means he's the powerful one. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I haven't in my time spent enough attention on that adjective living. You are the son of the living God. The Greek has, you are the son of the God, the living one. What does it mean that our God is the living God? Oh, we read about this about 30 times in the Bible. He's called the living God. Psalm 42, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Psalm 84, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. 1 Timothy 4, verse 10, we've set our hope on the living God, who's the savior of all men and especially those who believe. Think of this. I think this will help us understand what does it mean that our God is the living God. Paul and Barnabas are ministering at Lystra. 
They healed a man who had been lame from birth and the pagans decided, remember that Paul was Zeus and Barnabas was Hermes and they'd be, they brought cattle and they were going to sacrifice them and, and worship Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas are, are and, and they say, the gods have come down among us in the likeness of men. That's what they say about Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are horrified and they say, men, why are you doing these things? We're also men just like you. And we've come to bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And now we have a sense of what it means. He's the living God. He is life and the power of life who created heaven and earth and everything in them and created you and me. He's the fountain of life. And we lost that life in our sin, but he's come to bring that life back to us. He's the fountain of eternal life. Remember again, this God is eternal life and this life is found in his son. 1 John 5, verse 12. The powerful one, the living God. Jesus is the son of the living God the one in whom you find life, the power to live to God, to live to holiness, the power to live joyfully, the power to live as a witness, the power to live unto God. That's in Jesus, the son of the living God. Just one small example of what that can look like. One pastor writes, I received a letter from a janitor and he said, I'm a janitor and my work is boring to me and I do the same thing every day over and over. What can you suggest that will help me in this problem of boredom? That's a pretty ordinary question and an ordinary problem. And you might feel that way sometimes. And the pastor thought. And he thought of that title, the living God. The living God. And Jesus, the son of the living God, who came to make us alive. And even when we feel dead, though we're believers, to renew and restore that life so that we're no longer bored. And he talked to this janitor, this man. He wrote about Jesus' encounter with the water or the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she's totally bored and exhausted with Life. She's been through every experience and nothing has satisfied her. And she has just found life tedious. And what did he say? I have living water for you. If you drink me, I'll become in you a well that springs up to eternal life. She invite, he invited, the pastor invited this man to come to Christ. And then to keep on coming to him anytime he felt bored. For the power of life to fill him every day. That's exactly what it means. That Jesus is the son of the living God. He's the power of life in himself. He's the source of life and joy in himself. 
And if you have no life, you come to him. But if you do have life and you're bored or exhausted or weary, go to this fountain. Go to the living one, the son of the living God. And he'll be in you a well, that a spring of water that wells up to eternal life. And the man responded, from that day on, I went back to my work and my whole life changed. I viewed my work in a whole new way, all because of Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are dead, but you are life. We are weak, but your strength. We are ignorant, but your wisdom. We're guilty, but your holiness, and you've offered the sacrifice to cleanse us from all our unholiness. So we come to you as the blessed son of the living God and ask that you will enter our lives so that we might have fellowship with God and renew our lives so that we may enjoy that fellowship in whatever work we have, whatever situation we're in, that we might know the joy of fellowship with God in all our life. We praise you that you are the eternal son, the only son, the powerful son. We bless you. Amen.